Hey Rebels, my name is Matthew Barton, and I'm the host of the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. The use of language has always fascinated me. For most of us, words just glide past without much of a second thought. But some of us are paying attention. Some of us aren't just waiting for our turn to talk. Erudition feels like a phenomenon that has withered, especially lately, especially during election season. When words are used in an election, it tends to be in short declarative statements. Very good words, the best words, all the best words. It's a race to the bottom and it's dumb. I believe speech and the use of it is fundamentally about communication and persuasion. The selling of an idea, convincing people to do what you want. I think that's why it's in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That's why I'm glad to introduce you to today's guest, Tiffany Wolf. She's a communications and public relations consultant with Helium Communications, and like myself, a recovering journalist. She has been posting a series of videos and articles talking about the use of language, not just as a tool for the will to power, but for more noble ends. At least, that's what I think. It's nice seeing what feels like an honest and earnest approach to communication. It's refreshing, especially in light of what feels like an endless season of garbage. So let's get into it. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I, uh, I'm really glad that we, we got to meet, even if it's remotely. Um, thank you for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I Nerding out about words, one of my favorite things to do. Uh, and then when you sprinkle in a little bit of politics, I get real excited. So super stoked about what we're going to chat about today. How's it going in your life, all things considered? All things considered, that is an important qualifier right now, isn't it? Uh, pretty good. Um, you know, it's everything's kind of up and down right now, but we're coming off the tail end of provincial election season, and I'm pushing hard into municipal election season because municipal government counts too, and I just believe in that strongly. So I'm still ranting at people about politics for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> When I saw your videos, though, it wasn't quite a rant. It was much more of like a, a gentle Mr. Rogers, here's some information if you'd like. Uh, you know, I, there, there were some rants. They all hit the cutting room floor. Um, I mean, <laughs> it was, you know, a, a concerted effort, particularly when I was talking about the provincial election, not to get uh, too ranty, um, which was tough because that's where I tend to get a little uh, spicy. But... Um, I also know enough about polarization and how to get people to actually listen to what you're saying to know that if I head too far into rant territory, I, I lose the audience and they don't care what I have to say because the way that I'm saying it has put them off so badly. Mm -hmm. One of the things you talk about on your website and on your platform is strategic communication. What is that? Why does it matter? Well, I love to talk in analogies. So, you know, strap in for a few of those as we go on. 
And the, the best one that I have for strategic communication is you would never play a game of soccer without knowing where the goalposts were. It would make it a very difficult game to play and an even more difficult game to win. And communication is very much the same thing. Um, if you don't know what you're trying to do when you communicate, how do you know whether or not you've done it effectively? And that's true on like a corporate communication scale, for sure. Um, you know, we've been talking about politics. What are you trying to get people to do? What are you trying to get people to believe? But it also is true even in like interpersonal communications all the way down to our emails. All of us have received a stupid rambling email where you're like, why did this person send it? And I guarantee you they didn't ask themselves the question about what am I trying to do with this email? <laughs> so it applies everywhere. My favorite emails to send are ones where I can just be like, yes, no, <laughs> call me. <laughs> well, like I after several years at my previous job, finally got people to the point where they would, if you just read the first paragraph of an email, you knew what you, what they needed from you. Like, just don't bury the lead. Put the information up front and then provide more details for those folks who need it, because some do, but like, don't wait until the end to tell them why you're talking to them. Like, that's just a waste of everybody's time. <laughs> One of the things that bared out... Um bore out, I should say, with Rebellion's cans. Originally, when you looked at our cans, we had like three paragraphs and I fought very hard to keep it short and concise and tight. And now we've abandoned all of that and we just have four <laughs> words per can describing uh -huh. the beer. That's it. Four words. It could be light, crisp, refreshing, delicious. And that's it. Because we assume yeah. that if you're a customer in the store, from a communications perspective, we got you for three seconds, maybe. So you look at the can, you're like, what the hell is this weirdo beer? Oh, light, crisp, refreshing? Okay, I'll get that. Hazy, hoppy, juicy, fruity? Okay, that's mine, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's you've you've considered your audience there, right? Because the audience is an important part of, of that, too. So if the person is standing in front of your beer, they already have enough information to to get to the point where all you need are those four words, right? If you're looking at a website or a social media post, right, then maybe you need to give them more information because they're not, you know, they're not sure if they're into beer. They're not sure what those words necessarily mean in this context. They don't know whether or not rebellion beer is what they're aiming for, right? So in those cases, yeah, go ham, give them the three paragraphs. But once they're standing in front of that case, those four words are all they need. So just like do everybody a favor, keep it short. <laughs> My wife showed me some of your Instagram videos and we had talked about this a little bit in the opening, but I, I wanted to unpack it a bit with you. Why did you feel the need to do these types of videos? Well, the, the main reason I did it was selfish. Um, this is the first time I have not worked an election in a long time. Um, and so it felt very weird. I was completely unmoored to, to find myself in a situation where there were big decisions to be made and um, I felt really powerless. So what I realized I could do was take the information that I had and the skills that I learned doing similar things for pay and do it for free like a sucker. Um, and <laughs> so 
what I what I decided to do was essentially talk about politics to people who don't care about politics. Um, and because I came into politics by accident, um, I've always felt very strongly that I wanted to exercise my right to vote, but I didn't. I didn't know that much, and I didn't, frankly, care that much. And so, I when I was casting a vote, it was very simple considerations. I'm very, I, a very much a values based voter. Looked at you know sort of what my parents believe, what I believe. Checked the box, walked out, didn't think about it again for four years. And then when I started working in uh, or adjacent to politics. Um, I started to learn a lot more. I started to get a sense of what that decision-making looked like. And I started to actually feel like I could make a difference um, as an individual, as a voter, and as somebody with information. And so I tried to sort of translate what I now knew to people who were more like I was before. And I think also as a woman, I often didn't see myself reflected in politics. Um, and so the more I've talked about it, the more I get the sense that other women in particular don't see themselves in politics and thus don't pay attention. And this was my way of trying to bridge that gap because we have power and by giving up that power, we say the people who have power are fine to make decisions and their decisions are not going to harm me enough for me to make an effort. And therefore I don't care about those that they do harm. So like there was like a lot of emotional stuff in there, but also just like, I was like, I'm going to dump my brain at people for minutes at a time. Part of my background is actually political science. It's something that I, I deeply focused on, but I don't get into it on the show because we have a strict no politics policy. <laughs> As a business, we say we stay out of politics. We'll advocate yeah. for the specific issues that talk to us, but we basically generally regard it as a stinker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the things that you just said, um, you talked about the emotional load and how people communicated and whether you felt seen. And the thought that came into my head was it's hard for me to communicate with people because they feel like I'm condescending to them or treating them stupid. Mm -hmm. Who's doing it well? Cause it's not me. Um, I think honestly, I don't really look that hard at who's doing it. Um, for a few reasons. Uh, one is that most of the people who are doing the analysis don't seem to reflect me, right? So I, I'm just not getting enough out of it, right? Um, when I was talking about the provincial election, one of the points that I kept coming back to was about going straight to the party platforms, I skipped over like looking for information in the news because what you're doing there is just adding more lenses and potentially obfuscating the original message, right? So if we as individuals can go directly to what the party is saying and evaluate that ourselves, then we're going to be able to make better decisions. 
Whereas if you're waiting for the party to make an announcement at a press release, and so it's going through that lens, right? It's going through the, the lens of the person who's writing the speech, then the lens of the person who's delivering the speech, then the lens of the person who is listening to the speech, then writing about that speech. Then you've got an editor who's gone through that and then somebody else on the other end listening to it, right? So that's a lot of lenses to go through. So I do my best to sort of go straight to the source wherever I can. And then I'm also the type of person who, like, I really believe in making sure that we look at a variety of sources because that's how we cut through the bias, right? Is looking at something from all kinds of perspectives because no one perspective is going to be perfect and we all need to make up our minds ourselves. So I'm just like inch wide, mile deep on my sources. When you say diversity of sources, can you unpack that for me a little bit? Do you mean like TV, radio, print or specific publications? All of it, really. Um, I've talked a lot recently about um, that looking for that diversity of opinion because the automatic opinion that we're going to get, the opinion and the, the lens that we've been baked into as a society for hundreds of years is one very small, narrow opinion. It's typically white, well-off, able-bodied, relatively old, middle-class men and so once I realized I can get that opinion and that perspective without having to look for it I made an effort to make sure I was looking for other perspectives so sometimes it is like a different medium um you know like listening to something is different than reading something um and I know in my time at journalism school that like trying to get all of the information into a TV story is very different than trying to get it into a print story. And so sometimes if I just need that quick bite, yeah, TV is where I'm going to go. Um, but I also know where I can get that deeper information. But I'm also making sure that I'm looking for perspectives of people that don't typically get heard, right? So as a woman, it's obviously very important to me to listen to other women's voices. As a white woman, it's very important to me to listen to the voices of Black, Indigenous, people of color because that's not what my experience has been and so I need to make sure that I'm looking to them to know what their experience and their perspective is and then in that to make sure that I'm looking at multiple ones because no group is a monolith right like I can't ask one person to be that perspective so that requires a level of that's a lot of work <laughs> it's a lot of work to set it up but once once it runs it runs right like it's it's like a, a good program you put in the work up front and then you just set it to run and it goes like I have uh spent a lot of time looking at like my social media follows and making sure that that's where I see that diversity um reflected because that is where I'm getting so much of my news and my analysis now so if my social media follow list looks a lot like me I'm sort of failing at it I figure interesting how often are you looking for people who just straight up disagree with you? Cause that's tough. It's, and that is like, and in particular when you're talking about politics, looking for people who, who specifically disagree with you. Um, and cause it's emotional, right? So in some cases I'm 
I'm trying to decide, like, am I going out there to actually get the information or am I going out just to say that I did it, right? Because if I'm going out to to say, okay, I've listened to their perspective and now I don't have to listen to their perspective anymore, that's disingenuous and it's not helpful. So I think it's also about making sure that my mind is actually open when I'm looking at the stuff and I'm willing to look at the argument from all angles too. That's uh, really, really tough, especially when it's uh, like we were arguing about it yesterday in the office. We're sitting there and I'm getting into the weeds and the nitty gritty of, you know, uh, how electoral maps are drawn and <laughs> what does proportional representation look like and how first past the post is broken. And I got yelled yeah. at literally one person in the room was like, nobody fucking cares because it's about emotions and how people feel. And it, he's like, you can talk about all the nonsense that you want. No one fucking cares. Shut up. And I was just like, <laughs> part of me was like, well, fuck you too. <laughs> and I went for a walk and I was like, yeah, he's right. Like it's stupid, but he's right. <laughs> well, and that was sort of like in the last handful of years, I think we've seen the results of um, leaning really heavily on rhetoric and analysis right. as opposed to critical thinking and um, logic in so much as you can. Um, politics is always going to be inherently rhetorical, I think. Um, but if you've got a sense of what logical thinking actually looks like and critical thinking actually looks like, we can combat some of the rhetoric. But there's also all of our, our own biases in there, right? Um, confirmation bias, um, all that sort of stuff. Like that's, that's powerful psychology. And, you know, being aware of it is only one step. But like, we can't change what we're not aware of, right? So like, but in the getting back to the original point i think the last four years has also shown us what happens when we start to take the system and the process of democracy for granted um and the fire didn't start four years ago but it got to the point where we couldn't ignore it anymore i think what happened in the united states is is an obvious dumpster fire like you can't miss that one um but 2016 was, I also look back at 2016, and there was three elections that year. There was a provincial election in April, there was uh, a municipal election in October, and then the presidential election by November. Um, by the time that presidential election happened, like, I was just out of hope. I was done. It broke me. And so it was because we could look away. We didn't have to engage in the process. We were taking it all for granted and people were apathetic. And I think, you know, as tough as the last four years have been, I think it's opened a lot of our eyes. And now at this point, we know what's happening. And if we're looking away, that's a conscious choice that we are making to look away and disengage. I think it's a different, a different ballgame now. That's um, what I would describe it as. Uh... Have you ever jacques? <laughs> That's the phrase I'm looking for. When you're saying we make a conscious decision to look away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I I think about um, where do we make concrete changes? And one of the things you had written about really struck a chord with me, and that was the use of military language 
in regard to COVID-19. Because mm-hmm. wrestling with big institutions is hard. Trying to understand federal, provincial, municipal is hard. Mm-hmm. But we're all living this COVID thing. And I wanted to unpack the use of military language in COVID-19. Can you explain this to me? Yeah. Well, it was... I have to first, like, absolve myself of any credit um, for coming up with sort of the basic idea. Um, there, I'd seen some chatter about it on on Instagram. And the more I looked at it and the more I considered it, the more it made sense to me. Um, and the basic point is when we talk about illness, like we talk about war, it shifts our perspective on it and we start to accept things that frankly I think are inhumane. Um, When we start talking about uh, healthcare workers being on the front lines, we start viewing them as soldiers. Um, And one of the things that I said in that blog post was, Soldiers sign up for kill or be killed. And I don't know a single healthcare worker who signed up for that. They signed up for go in and save, not go in and maybe die. And so when we start looking at them differently, I think we're willing to accept a level of collateral damage that we wouldn't otherwise. Um, And I mean, let's not forget that the phrase collateral damage means innocent non-soldiers dying. Right. So even just the euphemism in that phrase is fucked up. So when when we start talking about it in terms of illness, it just gets real gross real fast. And then when I started to do research on that idea, I discovered that they've done studies and that terminology leaking into healthcare as a whole is actually shown to have bad outcomes for patients. When you compare cancer to a fight, people do worse. Why? I I don't think that they, they could make like a really hard connection between the two, but I think the way that we look at um, fighting and war, it's inherently a bad and painful thing. And so when we try to take healing and frame it as war or um, fighting, we're putting the two things at odds, right? Um, Cancer is no fucking joke, right? I, I know enough people who've gone through it, but it, it isn't a fight. It's an illness and we're treating it. Right. So the way that we talk about things shapes the way that we think about things and vice versa. And if we're not careful with that metaphorical rhetorical language, we are putting ourselves in situations where we're drawing some messed up conclusions and accepting some things that I don't think we otherwise would. Is it hurting people? Yeah. Yeah. Um, When I was doing the research was right around the time that uh, the outbreak was happening up north and they were looking for nurses to go up and, and work up there. And when I did a Google search of that, the number of places where they referred to that as putting them on the front lines was astonishing. 
because again, like these are healthcare workers. These are people who signed up to help heal people, to help people get better, not to walk in front of a bullet. And I, I think in North America in particular, we've seen that framing so much. Uh, you know, there's been talk of sacrifices. And sure, like we need to make some sacrifices in a case like this because we're balancing um, just like it's shit versus diarrhea. None of them are good options. But when we are, are asking healthcare professionals to make sacrifices, I think we need to be careful because their lives are not a sacrifice to be made. We need to protect them and we need to protect the people that they're treating. We need to protect each other. And I think when we make that shift in language from like sacrifice to protection, we start thinking about it differently and we can make different decisions. Did the phrase collateral damage come out of the Gulf War? Was it when when they kind of had that war on TV phenomenon, but they needed to make it more palatable? That sounds right, but I I couldn't say for sure. If I gave you a solid answer one way or the other, it would it would be a lie. So, <laughs> it, what you kind of said to me reminds me of like um, slippage. You know, we mm-hmm. we didn't consciously make these decisions; somebody else did, and then we adopted the language because mm-hmm. somebody else wanted us to. Mm-hmm. They drew us a box around us. Yeah. And I think it's like metaphorical language is important for our understanding. It's a really valuable tool. Um, certainly, I think as somebody, like I said, who loves to speak in analogies, metaphorical language is really important to helping people understand things um, because it allows you to like quite literally draw a picture for them. But we need to think about what picture we're drawing. And when we're talking about healthcare and the picture that we're drawing is a battlefield and people covered in blood and dying in, you know, their own filth, that's a very different picture than, you know, thinking about being meticulous and careful and science-based and, and fact-based and thinking about healthcare in the way that we, we typically do, which is like very clean, very precise. Those are two very different images, and if we're not thinking about which one we're putting forward, we're guiding our thinking in messed up ways. Remember when I earlier said, uh, it's not about facts, it's about emotions. (laughs) 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 What you just said reminded me of of that comparison. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and I think that's where thinking critically, um, both as givers of information and receivers of information, um, we can be aware of that, right? Um, I think back to, like, I was in journalism school in 0304, uh, the phrase shock and awe, weapons of mass destruction, um, what was it, enhanced interrogation techniques. None of those sound like carpet bombing, um, an exaggeration and torture, but that's what they are. So I was in journalism school when just the U.S. government was out there spinning as hard as they could to justify what they were doing. So that's something that I think I've always kind of been aware of is, you know, our words matter. What we say is, can really do a lot of damage if we're not careful. And if we're not careful about 
deconstructing what other people are saying, we're going to fall prey to some stuff that we don't have to. On a little bit of a lighter note, I kind of, I wanted to transition a bit into talking about words and beer. Uh-huh. So did you want to crack today's beer? Yes. I'm very excited. It was funny because when you said like, you know, we've taken it down to the four words. Um, when I looked at this, like tart, fruity, delicious, and refreshing, I was like, oh, I'm I will take those four words for me too. <laughs> well, today's beer we're going to be drinking is the Blackberry Sour Smoothie. It's the second time we've brought it back in a can format, and it's one of our most popular seasonal sour beers. I'm excited. Unfortunately for me, it has lactose, so I'm going to live vicariously through you. All right. Here's the Foley. There you go. Okay, so I haven't, I've never tried this one before. Um, I typically love a fruity beer. Sometimes a sour freaks me out. So like I'm, I am equal parts terrified and excited for what is about to happen. Well, I think when it comes to sour beers, you have palate shock on your first sip. And by the time you get to the third sip, your mouth and your taste buds adjust. And then you can really appreciate what's going on yeah oh that is that is good it's definitely more sour than what i typically drink but it's not off-putting at this point i'm enjoying it the blackberry is just i feel like is also carrying it a lot for me (laughs) yeah we'll drink again 100 (laughs) this is good stuff one of the cool things about our sour smoothie series is you can get a hint of yogurt kind of character because mm-hmm. that's what we use to sour. Ah, yes. Lactobacillus. Isn't that what Jamie Lee Curtis used to talk about in the Activia commercials? Yep. <laughs> I can't believe I remember that. Why is that jammed in my head? Oh. Good marketing and good use of words. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're talking in COVID times and people are always talking about bad germs, bad germs, you know, keep mm-hmm. everything clean and nuked to the cleanliness. But there are tons of good things going on in our biome, um, bacteria mm-hmm. and otherwise, that we couldn't live without. And, yeah. and I, I, I think back to that time and time again. It's like once you understand the science, that emotional yuck reaction to there's yeast in your beer. And Mm -hmm. originally when you tell people this for the first time, they're like, oh God, there's yeast in here. Gross. Yeast is a gross thing. And, Mm -hmm. and if you're dealing with like a hazy beer or maybe a beer that's had a little, um, reef, uh, the yeast has fallen out of suspension, then they'll see little clumps of yeast in the bottom and they'll freak out. And it's like, no, it's okay. Yeast is good for you. You consume yeast every single day of your life. It's on your skin. Like, don't worry. You'll be okay. Uh, but yeah. if you don't understand the science and the facts that nitty gritty nerd stuff, if you're just pure emotion, it's, it can be scary. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, I think it's that we have more bacteria cells in our body than we do like ourselves. Like we are more bacteria than we are ourselves. And that's one of those things where like, you do got to get over that emotion hump to like take that fact on and really like, sit with it but I think that's like 
I'm always going to go back to the nerdery. I think that ability to sit through the discomfort of a truth is really important in all aspects of our lives. And because if you can't sit through that discomfort to from something that like is true, but you don't want to accept it, you're just, you're, I, I don't even have words for how big a mistake that is for one's life. Essentially, you're just a walking ego at that point. <laughs> well, you miss out. You're Donald Trump. <laughs> I would suggest that one misses out. The very first time I had a sour beer, I was like, this is awful. I hate it. It's gross. And everybody else in the room was like, just give it a second. Just give it a bit. And then like three days later, I was like, you got any, got any more of that? barrel aged sour beer i really like it and they're like yes yeah, sucker well like and i'm a kombucha drinker right so i can i can take that sour stuff and i can take that like weird goop floating inside my drinks my husband not so much he he took a, sw- a swig one day unprepared and he was like i'm never drinking this again and i'm like it's just like drinking tiny amounts of boogers it's fine <laughs> One of my one of my favorite friends that I used to work with, she said she loved germs. She's like, give me those germs and little kids like coughing and sneezing around her. She's like, oh, yeah, get it on me because I'm just going to fight it off with my great immune system. And I was like, oh, no, get that little vermin disease vector away from me. Just massive difference in perspective. But she yeah. she's a very happy, healthy person. Well, I think some of it is experience too, right? Like I had um, my son quite young. And so I had a kid who was in daycare and then I had a kid who was in school. And I just like, by the time he was four or five, I was like, if there is a germ in this city, it is in my face right now. Cause like he is going and hanging out with this kid who has licked who knows what and who has coughed on who and like, nah. So I feel like that's really come to bear well on my uh, my immune system. I'm doing okay. <laughs> the nice thing about these sour beers is they're a living organism, right? They're an ecosystem. Like, we didn't kill it with filtration. We didn't pasteurize it. You're getting the full <laughs> meal deal because when you pasteurize or treat it with a, a high filtration, you lose a lot of flavor. You lose quality. Um. So in that sense, it's good for you in moderation. It also has fruit, right? Can we count that? Like it's got fruit. It's a living organism. I'm really, it's health food. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds of blackberry puree. No extracts, no artificial sugars, nothing funky. Everything that's going in there is like a real thing. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And like, I love that I'm just like, driving down Dudney and I can see where it's all happening like here for that so much (laughs) like having grown up in Regina and it was you know Regina was a place where nothing was ever happening like the fact that I look around now like the Regina that I grew up in is so different than the Regina that I'm raising a kid in and I'm just delighted by that like things are happening people are making things happen here and like I just love it it makes me so happy I had a conversation with a beer guy who hadn't been here in 10 years and he goes, I don't even recognize the city. He's like, there's so many great restaurants and 
the beer has blown him away. He, he changed his entire opinion and was posting about how great our city had become and his friends who are still back in Alberta, who haven't been back. Maybe they were in Saskatchewan and left. They were making fun of him. And he was like, no, honestly, things have changed. Come back. Like, check it out. Yeah. A girl I went to journalism school with, I loved like 15 years. I've been telling the story because it never stops being funny to me. She was from Winnipeg. And so she came here to go to journalism school for a couple of years. And she, by the time she'd been through one semester, she had listened to us rag on Winnipeg and sat there and defended it. And then she went home and listened to people in Winnipeg rag on Regina and she was defending us. And she's like, just no matter where I am, I'm defending the other place. Like they're both good. you guys. <laughs> so I'm like, I try, I try to keep that in mind when people like to give Winnipeg a hard time. I'm like, it's really not that bad. Like, go give it a shot. Like you think you know what it is, but do you really like go give it, give it the old college try. It's not so bad. There's some cool stuff going on in Winnipeg. They've got a bunch of new breweries opening. They've got a great museum. I really want to go to the Museum of Human Rights, like, real bad. And the troll part of me wants to say I really like the Bombers. I I don't care about football, but if I could just, like, make people mad, I would just wear a Bomber jersey just to tease them. Well, like, I often, my husband and I often say, like, we're the only two out of a million people who just don't care. Like, we one way or the other just don't care like i've purged all green items from my wardrobe because (laughs) i'm i had managed to like accidentally wear green on game day enough times and then people assumed that i cared and tried to talk to me about it that i had to just like get all of the green items of clothing out of my wardrobe because i just couldn't deal with those conversations anymore like i will say though i've noticed that downtown is kind of chilled out like during the hype years, you couldn't walk downtown at lunchtime without people wearing green on the Jersey. I'm like, you are an adult going to work and you're getting to wear green. I can't even wear shorts. Like I have legitimate, I'm a hot giant man in a sweaty building and I can't even wear shorts and you get to wear a rider Jersey. Like how is that fair? and like the rules that we have built as a culture and a society are weird and arbitrary and nonsensical like why can why can i show up to work in a skirt but like you can't wear shorts why that doesn't that has never made sense to me so i feel you i did tweak them a bit though i won best dressed for wearing my kilt on robbie burns day that's the way to do it (laughs) that's the way to do it yes more kilts Right. Down with pants. Who 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 likes pants? No one. Have you been following Very No Pants cool. Saskatchewan on Twitter? I haven't. Um, I I used to like really enjoy the down with pants conversations that I would see on Twitter, but I haven't seen the No Pants Saskatchewan. But based solely on like that apparent hashtag, I'm on board. They have t-shirts. Yes. <laughs> pants are horrible. We've talked about so much and covered so many different topics, but I wanted to give you the opportunity to plug what you do. Why should people give you a call? What's the need? Well, the the thing that I think a lot of people misunderstand about communications is they assume that it's really only for big organizations or for executives. And as far as I'm concerned, good communication makes everybody better at their job. So if you 
communicate, and spoiler alert, you do, I can help you do it better. So, like, check out the blog. I've written about all kinds of stuff. See me on Instagram, tiffany.helium. Send me an email. All that sort of stuff. I'm down to talk about words with whoever, wherever, whenever. Down for it. Tiffany, I want to thank you for your time today. It was an absolute delight. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for supplying me with delicious beer. This is a win-win situation. Cheers. Rebels, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, be sure to join us on our brand new Facebook group page, The Rebellion Brewing Podcast. I'm going to include links to all of Tiffany's social media and website so you can just go and click and see what she's about. I'm also proud to let you know that we're members of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network, a one-stop shop of tons of locally produced shows from right across our province. You can find all of those shows at the saskpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped so you don't miss out on the latest news in Saskatchewan craft beer. Thank you for joining the Rebellion. Thank you.